السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Before beginning anything that I have to share on this topic, I'm actually, um, this is the first time I'm visiting Masjid Darul Salaam and the entire seminary. And I was mahroom from coming here for such a long time just due to different things coming up. But alhamdulillah, I feel so good and it feels so nice. Uh, and it's the closest thing to a Darul Uloom kind of environment since I've studied that I've come across in the U.S. It feels so nice and refreshing seeing all of this. Um, obviously, there's not a lot that I know about the, all the teachers and mashayikh and mashallah. There are so many here. And I'm sure all of them are gems in their own way. And there's so much, mashallah, that I've heard about the teachers, about the students, about the programs here, and about the wonderful work uh, Darul Salaam has been doing around. But... Out of everyone here, there is one person whom you all probably see on the daily that I think is uh, very special to me, and I can say a few words about him for sure, and that is our beloved Mufti Minhajuddin Ahmad. And Mufti Minhaj, and it's, this whole thing is so strange to me still, because he's standing up there and he's saying that I'm such a <laughs> inspiring speaker, and I'm such a you know, this and that and everything. It, the whole thing is very strange to me because when Mufti Minhaj actually came to St. Louis, I was just a young kid. And I was memorizing my Quran. And there in that masjid, he, for the first time, this is 2005, I think maybe 2006. I'm memorizing the Quran there and for the first time, we, we had a new imam there. And there was not a lot that I knew about Deen in the sense that about the ulum and about madaris and about ulama and about how much is out there. There was not much I was aware with. And I was a normal kid. I would go to the masjid and, you know, you'd go to school, do your normal thing. And my parents put me in health, so I was in health class. But it was there actually that I, uh, for the first time, I was exposed to so much of this. And I still remember that when he brought his books uh, and we were helping him set up his office, there was uh, in there, and there was some. There was there was a book that he had called At Tafsirul Munir, and it was this large, like multi-volume. The students of Tafsir, I'm sure they're aware with it. You guys see it by the late uh, Sheikh Wahba Zuhaili, Taala. And the first time I saw it there, so I asked him. I said, "What is this book that's in so many volumes?" Because I had never seen such a big work before. And so he said, "This is you know At Tafsirul Munir. I had it ordered from somewhere, and I was looking for it for a while. And the scholars this." And so like that, I began to be introduced to all of this. And so for the first time, I heard the name of Sheikh Wahba Zuhaili, those that study, you know, mashallah and the alimiyah, I'm sure you all are aware of his works and his khidmat and his al-fiqhul islami wa adillatuhu and all of his amazing works. And then uh, he, would, he introduced us to scholars. So for the first time, I heard the name of Mufti Rafi Uthmani, who ironically, I would have the, uh, the blessing and the ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to sit under and, and to study and hear him in his Sahih Muslim Durus. And I learned about all of these great things. And so initially the, the real person to introduce me, to inspire me to all of this is him. And then Alhamdulillah, he was very generous enough that without any added tuition, without any added anything from his own volunteer time, he would take time out for myself and Mona Farhan, who's just sitting right here on my right side. Um, and many of us, he would take us time. And so we, we were introduced to Lisan al-Quran. 
Uh, some of the students might know it. it was a, it's a three-volume work in English that attempted to make Arabic easy, and we began to learn Arabic, memorizing vocab and everything like that. And alhamdulillah, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, he left us, but for a better cause, and he came here. Uh, and so our, uh, you know, um, the istifada became less obviously because of that. But alhamdulillah, he um, still visits St. Louis. And um, alhamdulillah, I'm honored, but at the same time, I'm quite humbled and not sure how I'm sitting here. Um, and I used to hear from our mashayikh that when they used to travel to the madaris or the khanqah or the masajid of their elders, they actually would quite stay hidden and they wouldn't like to speak there. And they say, ki hai. To ki mein you know, we sit on the mimbar and we say that, you know, to, we teach all this. But inshallah ta'ala, this is just some stuff that I've benefited from my teachers, inshallah ta'ala. So I think it will be of benefit. And so I want to thank Mufti Minhaj and the entire Darussalam team. And I hope that all of you, um, you guys uh, benefit from him and you guys realize uh, what a gem you guys have, mashallah ta'ala. Wa la nuzaki Allahi ahada. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. The topic assigned to me is one that deals with a very fundamental and core question and concept, and that is balancing the personal and the collective. And in reality. This kind of topic can be an introduction to the many other topics. Because everything uh, that's being discussed is in reality, uh, it is a furu'i issue to this. Because if we establish the, 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 the realm and the dimension of the personal and the collective, then we can discuss what comes with that. So our, the, the Prophet ﷺ in his family, how was he with his family, in his household? That's in the personal. And then in the communal, you have the concept of the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, the concept of mu'akhat, which I know Mufim Hajj will be speaking about later on. And all of that which were the kind of the building blocks of the entire uh, life of the Prophet ﷺ with his companions. And so, what I want to do today is I just want to share briefly, uh, I want us to take a few looks at some of these, uh, both of these aspects and some things to keep in mind from the seal and from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, from his advice from his teachings about what can guide us. If we look at the very beginning of the Prophet ﷺ's nubuwa, his prophethood, it begins, uh, as mashallah the tulab know that if you open up Sahih al-Bukhari, the first hadith is the hadith of niyat, innama al-a'malu bin niyat. The second hadith is from Aisha radiallahu anha, kifa kana yatik al-wahi ya Rasulullah, how would wahi come to you? And the third hadith is Aisha radiallahu anha, the very, very long narration which he narrates the very beginning of revelation. That how did the wahi initially start? And she talks about She talks about how dreams would come. Etc. She goes onward. And then she says that after this initial period of dreams that the Prophet had, that seclusion or spending time alone had become beloved to him. And this is before revelation. And so the scholars comment, Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar and others comment, and they explain that perhaps this was from Ilham, that Allah had inspired the Prophet to this. And وَكَانَ يَخْلُوا بِغَارِ حِرَاءِ He would, his period of khala, his period of khalwa, 
would be in the cave of Hira. And this is long before Revelation. And so he would go there, he'd spend a few nights, then he'd come back, and he would take supplies, and our mother Khadija radiallahu anha would send with him, or either send after him. And it was after this period, somewhere in one of his days of this khala in, in, in the cave of Hira, that he received his first revelation. And so that beginning of the Prophet ﷺ, that beginning of prophethood, it was him alone with his thoughts, making sense of everything, thinking about the people of uh, Mecca, the people of Quraysh, the idolatry, the shirk that they're in, and his thoughts and him obviously being always away from shirk and away from uh, the, you know, the, uh, the, the acts of fisk and all of these types of things. He ﷺ was there reflecting about all of this. And that really speaks about the personal. That it started with him alone. And then when he gets the first wahi, it's just him himself. And only those that are close to him. Right? Ibn Hisham mentions that our mother Khadija and Ali radiallahu an, they, Ali radiallahu sees the Prophet ﷺ praying. Perhaps it was a, a nafil type of salah that Jibreel had taught him. And he sees that he accepts Islam. And then the Prophet ﷺ's very, very close friend, Abu Bakr radiallahu an, the first person outside of the family, he accepts Islam. And then for the first three years, only maybe 30 or 40 people accept Islam for the first three years in that period of eight, uh, of the private da'wah, right? And then when he does jahar to the da'wah, things expand. But the very beginning, it starts with the personal and it slowly grows out. And then if you compare this scene with the very last scenes, when uh, the, you know, the month of the hijjah comes, we talk about the hajjah al-wada'ah, we talk about the, the farewell, Hajj of the Prophet ﷺ, his final khutbah. We talk about the 100,000 plus companions there. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ saying that, I don't know if I'll see you after this year. We talk about the days of his passing and the companions between his wives and the room of our mother Aisha in her lap. And Abu Bakr is coming and leaving, radiallahu an. Ali radiallahu is coming and leaving, Ibn Abbas. All these companions are coming and there's a whole community by now. But in between these two, when we start with the very personal and the collective, are all what we need to know about our personal and our collective. And that's why Allah Azza wa Jalla in the Quran, in the, in the ayahs that are revealed all throughout these years, what do we hear? We hear, Ya ayyuhan nas. Ya ayyuhan nas. So this is for everyone. The most collective that you can be, literally every, all of mankind. Allah Azza wa Jalla is addressing them. Then you hear, Ya ayyuhan ladina amanu. You hear those who believe. So this is a specific group. You take out those that don't believe. Then you have, Ya al insan, you as an insan, just you as a person. This is directly between us and Allah, between us two. And so in between all of this, we, these ayat, these ahadith, all that we learn, the, the, the incidents in the seerah, all that we learn, it speaks to one of the two. And so to make things easy, we'll do four points, four points related to about the personal that we need to keep in mind from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, and then four from the collective. So the first thing is that when we talk about the personal, uh, or we talk about individualism, there's a lot of different concepts that come to mind. Because individualism, from a political sense, is something else. Uh, maybe perhaps other religions, other lifestyles, the idea of being a monk, the idea of being separated from society, never marrying, the idea of being away from people in the mountains, and all of those ahadith of the time of fitan that the Prophet ﷺ said, those come to mind. But when we speak about personal here, uh, Imam al-Khattabi, rahimahullah ta'ala, who was one of the great earlier imams and one of the great, uh, one of the initial 
uh, Shurrah of Sahih al-Bukhari, one of the first to explain Sahih al-Bukhari, he has a very, uh, he's a very, uh, he's a Risala book uh, by the name of Al-Uzla, which he speaks about this. And he says that even the ahadith or the athar or the uh, stories from the incidents we hear from the life of the Prophet ﷺ that speak about us being alone, it's not in the sense that people generally believe. Because being that alone is impossible in the Sharia. Jumu'ah, our Jumu'ah and our Jama'at, he says, our Jumu'ah and our Jama'at, they are literally based communally. Your Jumu'ah, you come, there are people literally sitting next to you, praying next to you, you're bound to say salam. In the Jama'ah itself, it's, uh, you know, uh, highly, highly recommended, it's a Sunan Mu'akkada, and there's so much wa'id for those that, without a, without a udr that leave the Salatul Jama'ah. So, our Salatul Jama'ah is communal, our zakah, it's very, very communal because you have to go out and uh, our zakah is much easier now because we just, you know, open up a, an app and pay. But the original concept was you find the fuqara, you know, you find them and you do tafaqud of their ahwal because you're supposed to know. You're not supposed to ask them, but you're supposed to know that this person's in need. You give them something. Hajj in its nature is communal. And so when we talk about uzla, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that. And the Quran says this as well, where Allah Azza wa Jal talks about uh, uh, talks about Ibrahim السلام, and Nuh السلام, in Surah Al-Hadid and then he speaks about Isa السلام, having the Injil and then he says uh, that this Rahbaniya this uh, monkhood that they invented they inserted into the deen they innovated this is not this is not something that we had ordained for them that we had sent down and ordered uh, for them. This was something that they came up with themselves. And even though they had a good purpose. And so we learn here, sometimes we do something and we say, my niya is good. But that's not the only thing that we look at in an act. Maybe our intention is good, but if the act itself is not legislated, if the act itself is haram, then that action also is sinful. Because the act itself is haram. It doesn't matter what our intention is. We have to look at the actual act. So they prescribe themselves a rahbaniya, a type of monkhood that Allah says, مَا كَتَبْنَاهَا عَلَيْهِمْ إِلَّا Sure, they were seeking Allah's ridwan, Allah's pleasure, but we never ordained it on them. فَمَا رَعْوَهَا حَقَّ رِعَايَتِهَا And then there's a, a longer part to this, that they, never, they, weren't, they weren't even able to hold on to that. And they didn't even fulfill that, and they uh, you know, left the, the true path of Isa a.s. Uh, teachings in his hadith. So we learned that the, the, the personal nature we're talking about, it's not that type of a monkhood. Rather, um, what we're talking about, and this is point number two, is a uzla that does, is a seclusion, is a, a personal, uh, the personal life that we have that doesn't interfere with those obligations. And that is a necessity that we undertake to protect ourselves. And that's why Makhul al-Shami, rahimahullah ta'ala, one of the great tabi'un, he would say, إِن كَانَ الْفَضْلُ فِي الْجَمَاعَةِ فَإِنَّ السَّلَامَةَ فِي الْعُزْلَةِ That there's no doubt a virtue of being together. But, but there's an aspect of salama, there's an aspect of being protected when you're alone. Because if you are, if you are always used to being with people, and if you're always used to being social, then a time is going to come where you are going to overdo it. And we all know the reality of our social gatherings. Sure, we need friends. Sure, ta'awun is there. But when we get together, and some 15, 20 minutes into their conversation, things get boring without riba, without backbiting, without gossip. It gets boring. And so we start talking about it with, to one another. And we'll justify it with different 
you know, with different names or different things. I'm just, you know, saying it. You know, I don't really mean it. But the reality is that our, uh, the conversations, our social gatherings, very quickly they lead into that. And how many of our social gatherings, if they don't lead into that, otherwise they're filled of so many munkarat. There's so many other forms of evil that are there. And then what do we say? We say, Karna because it's my social circle, it's my friends, I have to do it, I don't know what to do, majburiye, you know, it's, you know, like it's, I have to do it, you know, these are, these are things that you have to do, but those are things that are not permissible. But what we've done is we've made the, the collective, we've made something uh, of a social nature so important to us, so, uh, uh, you know, it's made it such a core aspect of our lives that now we can't do away with it. That's the type of balance that we need, that we are not sucked into that. And we are okay with being alone, and we are okay with being secluded to the extent that we are not taken away by that. And that brings us to the third point. The third point is that there is an aspect of self-fulfillment and qana'ah when you're able to be with yourself. When I enrolled in the madrasa in the first year, and the, and traditionally, the way in the, in the subcontinent, for those that have been there, the madaris, the way they have it is that your mutala'a, as Mufti Minhajuddin was mentioning, uh, your mutala'a is in the fina, or in the sihan as they call it, the outside part. Of the, so the masjid always has an inner part, and there's like an outside part. But it's still in the masjid. But what happens is in the summer, in the summer days, because there's no like, you know, central air conditioning and heating, you just come with some fans. And so you pray outside because it's, uh, it's easier with the, with the wind blowing. And so mutala in the summer nights was outside. And so the first, the first uh, day, the, the first mutala that we went, you have students lined up. So you have the Dora students, and then, you know, Mishkat students, and all the way you have the students there. And then there's the Safi Awal guys, right? The, the rookies and the noobs. And they're sitting in the front, and a lot of them are just making noise. They're just talking. Because they don't know that muta, the point of mutala is that there's pin drop silence. No one is supposed to be talking. It's supposed to be completely quiet, you have your book and you're preparing for your lesson for the next day. And so a lot of us were talking because we don't know or, you know, we don't know what mutala is. And, um, you know, some of us who are concerned, you know, we asked that, you know, everyone else is quiet. And we found out, okay, this is what mutala is. That, okay, we, you know, the teachers, okay, now you're going to learn about the adab of mutala, how is mutala done, the fatail of mutala, the stories of the, of the akabir and the salaf and how they used to, uh, how they used to do mutala. And then we learned that the first thing that we need to do that we all struggle with is without, with our phones away and everything, we have to be able to sit down with our book open and just look at it for 10 minutes. Because we're so used to talking and fidgeting and doing something else, we can't even sit down with our book open. So our teacher said, Bas kitab ko kolo or kitab ke dekho. Bas. Just sit down for 20, 30 minutes. If you can do that, you can't do anything else. Don't say I need to go to the bathroom or drink water or something. Just sit down, open your book and just stare in it. And flip a page. And stare in it. And then, start, try, and then start to read. And slowly you'll build up the stamina that you can finally sit down. And, um, uh, you know, our Shaykh and Ustad, Mufti Muhammad Taqir Usmani Barakatuhum, you know, it's said about him that those that were in the old days when he used to sit in the Darul Ifta, that when he used to open up books like Imdad al Fatawa and he used to look through Fatawa books, that he used to be paging through so quickly that we used to think he's, the, the students say, the, the students of Ifta say, we used to think he was just skimming through it. But he had such a self-discipline that he was uh, going through and he was reading it cover to cover. He had that ability to read it. And people like me, people who are weak, we don't have that ability. And so we have to force ourselves to have to sit down and do mutala properly. And then th- this is from an enemy perspective. But even from an amal perspective, the most common question we ask is what? 
I can't make, how do I make dua? Mujhe dil nahi lagta dua ke andar. I don't know how to make dua. And so the first, if you go to any mufti sahab, any mawana sahib, you say, you know, mawana sahib, kuch batayin, tell me something. How do I engage with Allah? How can I talk to Allah? How can I make dua? Because I say, you know, Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana, Allah give me this, just, you know, make things okay in my house. You know, if I want to get married, Allah give me a good wife. Uh, and that's it. So what will they say? That just sit there and just keep your hands up and keep thinking of things. And yeah, you can only last two, three minutes, but if you sit in the same spot and you have your hands up, things will come to your mind. And you'll learn to make dua. And a short time will pass, you'll build up the ability to have a connection with Allah. And then those people that sit, uh, if you've gone to the ijtima'at, you see du'as for 30 minutes, gante ki du'a, people are sitting uh, and they're doing du'as for an hour. And you're like, what is this person doing du'a for, for one hour? I can't sit that long and make a du'a. But they've built it up. So when you have this aspect of self-fulfillment, uh, then that is there. Imam al-Khattabi here, he gives a, a very good example. And he says that the example of the person who isn't able to sit still, he's not able to be alone. It's like the person who's so used to eating food that whenever he sits, he's like, we need to have something to eat. And he's so undisciplined that he doesn't have the ability to sit down without food. Whenever he sits, he wants food. And so as a result, what happens, this person is going to overeat. And you overeat, what happens? You, your weight is out of control. And you go to the doctor, you ha- you, you're diagnosed with diabetes, with cholesterol issues. You have so many health issues coming. And then you're a mess from a physical health standpoint. And so this is a very important aspect that we have to develop an ability to sit down, be able to have muhasaba ourselves, do muraqaba, dhikr of Allah, dua of Allah. If we're students, sit down with a book and be able to do it alone and not be bothered that my friends aren't here. You know, I'm not sitting with someone. So that's number three. Number four is the last thing. Uh, and that is that Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak was asked that, you know, can you do tafsir of uzla? Can you explain to us what is uzla? And so he said that the, the least bit, so for us this is the last level, we can't do, we can't, you know, sit for an hour, we can't make dua for an hour, we can't do all that stuff. He said, هُوَ أَن تَكُونَ مَعَ الْقَوْمِ فَإِنْ خَاضُوا فِي ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ فَخُضْ مَعَهُمْ وَإِنْ خَاضُوا فِي غَيْرِ ذَلِكَ فَأَمْسِكُ If the people you're sitting with, okay, you can't stay without your friends, we say, I can't stay without them. The least bit that we can do is we can be concerned about ourselves to the point that if other than, if Allah's name is being mentioned, Bismillah, we sit there. There's benefit coming. But if other than Allah is being mentioned, if there are uh, inappropriate things being mentioned, then we're able to get up and we're able to leave from there. And so these are four kind of points we can keep in mind about uh, the personal aspect of it. And then we have the collective on the other hand. The collective, four points about the collective. The first thing is uh, Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar ta'ala, he mentions and I'm sure this will be discussed in the masjid aspect of the, of the bayan of the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, that one of the wisdoms behind the masjid and behind there being jama'ah and, 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 uh, and jumu'ah is that so much of what is dealing with community, we learn there. We learn how to say salam. We earn the rewards of salam. We learn that if you are, uh, if you are sneezing, for example, you learn in the masjid. The first time you probably learned is in a masjid. You said alhamdulillah. Someone said to you, alhamdulillah. And then you learn that I have to uh, dress well and not have a foul smell coming from me. I have to make sure I'm showered and clean so that I don't disturb the person next to me. Uh, I have to make sure that I keep clean the area so someone doesn't get disturbed. And you find out the ahwal of people, someone is not coming to the masjid, the regular. And so you find out what happened to this person. You find he's sick. Okay, now I have to go to riyada. And then you see someone is sad. Someone has passed away. You hear that someone has passed away. You have to go. 
you know, console that person. So a lot of the community, it revolves around the masjid. And the reason for all of this is in Allah says that don't keep the good to yourself. Don't be so personal and so secluded that you keep the good to yourself. Be, uh, you know, help one another, aid one another in doing good in taqwa. And that happens if we're together. At this beautiful retreat that we're in, this beautiful conference, there's so much good that we'll pick up on. We'll see someone doing something good, we'll pick up on it. We'll hear something good, we'll pick up on it. We'll see so many faces. There's something that, that'll, that'll be encouraged inside of us. And that's why this is such a beautiful thing. And so the first thing is we have to realize that what we mean by the community is that we mean coming together for ta'awun. So if we're getting together and we're talking about a communal gathering, but there's no ta'awun, al-birri wa taqwa and there's ta'awun al-ithmi wal-udwan, that we're only a gathering to aid and assist and teach and learn uh, haram and munkarat, then what we walk away, it defeats that purpose. Number two is that we have to understand that everything that we learn from the seerah of the Prophet and everything that we learn from the principles. And Murrah Ahsan, I believe the, the speaker who was speaking before me, he was kind of speaking to this, where he was speaking about the fact that now you have people coming who say that, uh, you know, why do I have to believe in this old book? This book that's no longer relevant. And so one of the things that um, the great scholar of, of Sirah, Sheikh Saeed Ramadan al-Buti, and the students of Sirah know his, his famous work, Fiqh al-Sirah, uh, which was a groundbreaking work in which he not only mentioned the incidents of the Sirah, and it's translated to the English language. But he had a second chapter where he would mention the benefits and the wisdoms. And what we learn, whether it's rulings or whether it's for our islah, things that we learn from it. And so he mentioned a very, very beautiful point. He says that there's a, there's a difference between two terms. And it's kind of difficult to translate them into English. One is taqalid and one is mabadi'. Those are the, the, the plural and the, the, the singular form is taqlid and mabda. And this is not the, the shari taqlid that we're talking about. This is... Uh, because taqlid means to follow, but what uh, to to follow blindly, but the taqlid is he's speaking about here are cultural norms. So there's a there's a concept that people have that because my family does this, this is what's going to happen at my wedding. Because it happens in the family, it happened at my brother's wedding, it happened at my cousin's wedding. Now it has to happen in my wedding. And if this is how I uh, this is how the, the first time I uh, I buy a house or something, if this is how my entire family is in it, that's how I'm going to do it. So he says that there, you have to differentiate between taqalid and mabadi. Taqalid are traditions, and traditions uh, is a vast word. But what he means by that is there's nothing behind it, other than the fact that people did it. Just because people did it, that's why I do it. But the question comes that we as Muslims, we also say that okay, the Kabir did it, the Salaf did it, the righteous Imams did it. The earlier generations did it. Aren't we doing the same thing? He says, no. There's, there's, difference, there's a difference between taqalid and mabadi. Mabadi are those things that have been inherited, but at the back of them, the backbone is a principle. We don't just pray salah because our forefathers prayed salah. We pray salah because our forefathers prayed salah because Allah ordered us to pray salah. We, at the back of all of these traditions that we have, there's something solid there. There's a foundation there. An order from Allah and an order from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so we have to understand that when it comes to the, to the community, where we are not necessarily interested in everything that our culture teaches us. And we say Islam is a very social religion, very communal religion. And the Prophet Sallallahu came to Medina, he said, build a masjid and ifshaw salam. And so, you know, we have to just kind of be in the context that we are. No, that's not what we say. We say that we have to look and filter those things out. Are they based in the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in his seerah, in his hadith, in the way of the aslaf, or are they based in something else? Then in that case, 
we are not concerned with them. The number three, the third principle we have to keep in mind is that there is an element of difficulty when it comes to being with the community. It's not easy. And even in a, a smaller version of community, let's say it's your family, or let's say it's your extended family, or let's say it's your khandan, your, you know, your extended family, or your masjid, your community, there's going to be problems. Everything is not easy. And in your closest relationships, you'll have the most amount of problems. The most amount of disputes are with your spouse, with your children, with your siblings, because you're in close proximity. But our Prophet ﷺ, he taught us when he said that Al-Mu'minun الذي يخالط الناس ويصبر على أذاهم أعظم أجراً من المؤمن الذي لا يخالط الناس ولا يصبر على أذاهم That the believer, the mu'min, that uh, engages with people and bears and has patience when they hurt him. That believer has a higher amount of reward than the one who just stays away from people because I don't want to be hurt. So if you're engaging with people, you're involved in your masjid, you're involved in your community, there's going to be some hurt, some, uh, some disputes, some things are going to happen. But your reward is going to also be more than the person who stays away from all of that. So part and parcel of that, and from the seat of the Prophet ﷺ himself, in Hunayn, when, uh, when Dhul Khwaisala said to the Prophet ﷺ, ma adalta ya Rasulullah. Ya Rasulullah, you weren't just. You haven't done adl. This is the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, out of everyone there. And the Prophet ﷺ said that, illam adil fa man adil. If I haven't done, if I'm not just, then who's going to be just? And the narrations mention his, the color of his face changing, he was angry. And so we learn from the seat of the Prophet ﷺ that even he himself, at times, he had to deal with something, even if that Dhul uh, Khwaisa did not necessarily mean it in that way, but it came across in that way, and it hurt the Prophet of Allah The Ansar in some other places, the Ansar would have their own, after the spoils of war, after uh, you know, Fath Makkah are being distributed, the Ansar, they had some shikwe, they had some complaints. And so they weren't very happy. And so the Prophet ﷺ, he consoled them. And he explained to them that these are people, these are Mu'allafatul Qulub, these are people that newly accepted into Islam, and I've given them some extra goats and sheep. What difference does it make? Because you're going home with Allah's Messenger, and you have that unique rank. These are people, they needed some dunya to keep their hearts steadfast, we gave them something. So we learned that even from the seal of the Prophet ﷺ, there is going to be difficulty when engaging with the community. But we are patient on that. And the last of the, the four for uh, the collective is that the, 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 the lesson of sacrifice we will have to sacrifice if we want to benefit the community. There is no benefiting the community if we don't sacrifice. If we didn't think that the jama'at that we have, and the madaris that we have, and all of this great work of the deen that's going on, if we didn't think that we need to sacrifice our children, so that they take their time out, they take their... Uh, I think that's my cue. Okay, so um, if we think that without sacrifice we can't get anything, then that's not going to happen. And I'll end here that the Prophet ﷺ in the battle of Uhud when he's coming back, there's so many narrations, there's three or four that I had, but I'll summarize them into one. There are so many women that are crying because they've lost their fathers, their brothers, they've lost so many, but they're concerned about the well-being of the Muslims. And so we learn from this instance in the seerah the importance of uh, the importance of sacrificing for the collective. And lastly, uh, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, in between these two balances, there's still a spectrum. And the Sahaba were not all the same. You have the likes of Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhum, who would uh, take up Khilafah, Uthman and Ali radiallahu anhum, and you had those like Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhum. 
who during the Khilafah of Uthman radiallahu an, he was, uh, he was, you know, such a zahid. He was so, uh, he was such an ascetic. He was away from the dunya, and you know, he was very strict in keeping money and keeping extra money. And people, it was very difficult for people to deal with him. And so he, uh, he would leave and go to Rabda, and he would leave Medina, and he would pass away there alone, just alone. And he would be there alone for quite a while. And Abdullah bin Masood radiallahu an, he was passing by when he passed away. And he found out who passed away, and they said, This is Abu Dhar al And he said, Sadaqa Rasulullah that the Messenger of Allah sallam, spoke the truth that Yamshi Wahdahu, Wayatmutu Wahdahu, Wayubathu Wahda, that Abu Dhar is walking alone. This is referring to an incident in Tabuk. And he was coming from the back, and he was alone. He's, Abu Dhar is alone. He's going to die alone. He's going to be raised alone. And so in between that, there are different temperaments and the Sahaba are different temperaments, but the balance is key and the, the, to make sure that our deen is not sacrificed at any cost. We ask Allah Azza He allows us to make amal and He gives us tawfiq to balance both those things in light of the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam.